Would you stand and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning's from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 6, 9 through 13. King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple will not be for mortals, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble in abundance. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by artisans, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? Then the leaders of ancestral houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Then the people rejoiced because these had given willingly, for with single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. This is the word of God for the people of God. First Samuel was the book we were studying last week to learn about Hannah and her great devotion to God. After we learned about Hannah and how she turned to God in her time of misery, right at the end of the reading, it gave us some foreshadowing and told us that indeed Hannah was going to have a baby and name him Samuel. And we know that Samuel was the one to become a great prophet, the one God would choose and use to name the leaders, the kings of Israel, first Saul and then David. Right before 1 Samuel, there's a very small book in the Hebrew Scriptures called Ruth. The book of Ruth tells about her story and her mother-in-law Naomi and about all the hardships they endured. But then toward the very end of that book, there's another birth story. These birth stories, so important in the Hebrew Scriptures. This one telling us that Ruth is going to have a baby and name him Obed. And Obed is going to be the father of Jesse, and Jesse is going to be the father of David. David starts out as a warrior. 
You remember that story of David coming on the scene with such prominence. It was a time in the history of the Israelites that their neighbors to the west, the Philistines, were marching upon them, but not to bring them gifts, but to bring war, to take them over. So the armies of the tribes of Israel had gathered together, and now they were face to face with these Philistines, just a valley between them separating them. They thought this was going to be an all-out war. But then the Philistines brought out their secret weapon, this giant of a man. You remember his name? Goliath. They bring out Goliath, and he is such a hulk of a man, he screams across the valley that rather than all of them being killed, he challenges anyone from the opposing side to come. And just the two of them, one-on-one, -on -one, will fight it out. Winner take all. Who will come? Oh, my. He is such a hulk of a man that all in the Israelite army are petrified. They do not move. None of them want to go take on this man. And about that time, David, who's been tending sheep, is sent by his father to take provisions and to check on his brothers who are in the army. And as he gets to the campsite there, he begins to hear of this challenge. And he's wondering why nobody wants to go out and fight Goliath. He thinks maybe he could do it. They don't think so. But David has no fear. He is not afraid of this giant Philistine. I want to read to you what he says as he goes out to meet Goliath. It's back over in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. He says to Goliath, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then he goes on to describe in rather graphic detail, how he's going to tear this fellow limb to limb and how they're going to plunder the whole Philistine army. You remember how it ends. David pulls a stone out of his pouch, puts it in a sling, winds it up and fires it at Goliath. It hits him square in the forehead, and he falls flat, headlong into the field. Not much of a fight. It is over. And sure enough, David and the Israelites plunder the Philistine army as they turn and retreat. But I want you to note that David's confidence, his willingness to step out, is rooted in his faith. It's all rooted in his faith and his trust of the living God and his devotion to serve this God that he's come to know. Well, that begins David's rise to power and his military career and finally to the crown. And he becomes leader and unifies all the differing tribes and kingdoms of the Israelites. For 40 years, he reigns as their king. That whole time, he protects the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very presence of the living God, the presence of their God with them, leading them and blessing them. 
but it's been in a tent most of the time. David wants to build a proper house, a temple, if you will, to the Lord. And he is all ready to go. And then in a surprising turn, God says to him, David, you cannot build the temple. Blood on your hands. Your son Solomon will be the one to build the temple. Yet David is so devoted to serving God, even when he learns he will not be the one who gets to build the temple, he wants to make sure that everything is just right, that everything is prepared for Solomon and the people to build this magnificent work to God and for God. That's where we picked up the story today. As David has called all the people together, he knows that he is not going to be the one. But he says several things about giving that I think are instructive to us this morning as we think about our own service to God and particularly how we view our personal wealth in relationship to our faith. How we think about our own lives and our own possessions and wealth in relationship to our faith. Right off, David points out that his motivation for giving these gifts is that he wants to give back to God. He wants to make sure that the people don't think he's trying to collect more abundance or that he's doing this just for his son Solomon, but he's doing this for God. You hear it in verse 1 when he began, as soon as he's gathered all the assembly together, he begins to tell them that there's going to be this great work. And Solomon, he notes, is young and inexperienced. He's the one who's going to be doing it. But he points out at the end of verse 1, for the temple will be not for mortals, but for the Lord God. Not going to be for us, but we're doing this for God. David's motivation comes out of his devotion and his love for God. And he wants other people to have that experience. And he goes on to say that he's going to give this great bounty, this whole list of gifts to the house of God or to the physical place of worship that he has envisioned. We might say house of God, we might say place of worship, Many of us would say church home. He's going to give it to that place where he gathers with others to worship and praise God. But then, after you read this whole list of all that he's going to give, then he invites others to do the same. Now, why would he do that? Right after he's listed, oh, he's got all the gold, the silver, the bronze that they're going to need. He's got all the wood and the iron. He's got all the precious stones. He's got all the marble. I mean, once you finish the list, it's easy to conclude David has everything he needs to build this wonderful, magnificent temple. So if he has all of that, why doesn't he just build it? I mean, there's other times in his life where he's made it all about him. He could do the same here, but he does not. Plus, he's king, so he could just gather all the assembly and say, 
everybody is going to receive this level of tax. Everyone's going to be forced to contribute so we can build this temple. But he does not. After he shares all that the kingdom can do, all that he can do personally and wants to do, then he invites all the assembly to join him in making a gift to this project. I think it is because David counts it an honor to give to the work of God. And he wants to make sure that nobody misses the opportunity to receive that honor. I think he understands that when you receive blessings from God and then you can be one who can contribute to the work of God, it changes your relationship with that God. I think he understands that giving is an important part of any relationship, whether it's human or human divine. And so he does not want to rob anyone who has come to the gathering of this grand opportunity to participate in what he considers is the great work of his life and career and leadership as king and leader of the people. Jesus speaks of it like this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was thinking about this week. I thought about how many people I know who have worked so hard throughout their lives, saved and scraped together, invested as wisely as they could, not for themselves, but so that they could leave a gift to their children. But they don't do it because they have to. They don't view it as a hardship. It's a joy to be able to leave the gift, to share the gift and in fact, it helps deepen and extend the relationship with their children. In fact, even beyond death. I think it's something like that that David's thinking of. The joy of giving, the honor of giving, the blessing of giving. And how it develops, develops and strengthens the relationship between those who are involved. And then after he's told the whole assembly all that he's going to do, in verse 5, he asks this question. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? Do you hear David's understanding of what he's asking? He's saying, oh, this is a holy act, consecrating, making sacred, making holy, that this act of giving somehow makes us holy. Remember, the root word for holy is set apart. David is saying the experience of giving to God sets us apart. It signals or signifies in a way this relationship with God, but not only signals it, it develops it, it strengthens it. It helps deepen our intimacy with God when we have opportunity and take it to participate freely in the work that God is doing in our time and in the place where we live. Who then, David says, will offer willingly, consecrating themselves today to the Lord? When we offer willingly, it consecrates us because it connects us more intimately to the work of God. It's not just the gift or the temple that becomes holy. 
the presence of God envelops us. And David is saying it develops our relationship with God in such a way that it makes us holy. Just about two weeks ago, a couple of children of one of our longtime members, John Johnson, came to my office. They came bearing a gift. If you do not know John, he was a longtime member here at Boston Avenue. John served as chair of our budget committee for decades. He served on administrative board just as faithfully. He served several tenures and rotations on our staff parish relations committee. But so often, John was serving in committees and behind the scenes that you may have not seen him or even known him. But if you were here during that time, I bet you saw him because he worked this aisle right here as an usher decade after decade. And John didn't just stand at the back and say hi to people and hand them a bulletin. He would come all the way down the aisle seeing what seats were open. And then when he would spot someone coming, he would wave them down and shake their hand and welcome them, whether they were member or guest. He knew that some people got here a little bit late. So even after the service started, you could see John standing about halfway down watching for those latecomers. And rather than leaving them in the back or leaving them to their own devices, he would wave them on down and say, I've got two right here. I've got three right here. And would shake their hand and welcome them to the Boston Avenue Church because he loved this place. He wanted them to have the experience he had had of worshiping and praising God here, of growing in his faith, of serving God. And so I think like King David, toward the end of his life, he wanted to give another gift. So John made provision in his will to leave a gift to Boston Avenue Church, and his children came to deliver it to us. It was a check for $100,000. And it wasn't the first time he had given I think it was just who John was by then. He was one who gave to God through this church because this was his place. And he wanted the work of God to continue for others even beyond his death. He was a great giver in his life and in his death. And King David, we see today, is a great giver as well. He wants to give back to God, and he wants others to have the opportunity to participate in the great work of God. And then this story tells us what happens. After King David says, now who will join me? Verse 9 tells us, then the people rejoiced because these had given willingly, for with single mind they had offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. When we all give, we all can rejoice. We come together in unity when we're all giving back to God. We celebrate that every week after we give you opportunity to give gifts to God. We receive them. And then our ushers come back down as we rise in body or spirit singing the doxology. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. It's a high moment in the service where we're all standing together to worship and praise God 
recognizing that God has given us gifts and now we're responding with like generosity so that others too might come to know this God that we know. But David goes even further in verse 10. After it says all the people have rejoiced, David burst out and says, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. David sounds a theme here that runs throughout the Bible that all we have and all that we are is a gift from God. He goes on after saying, for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. He says, riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. David recognizes that God is at work here that in fact God is the source of all that he has and all he's been and all he's experienced and he's responding to this great God that's been at work in his life who's the source from whom all blessings flow when it comes to giving if we think it's all ours most people find it hard to let go and give to God. When we recognize, as King David did, that ultimately it's all come from God, and we are trustees or stewards, and now we have the privilege and the joy to participate in the work of God by giving a portion back. Oh, it leads us to effusive worship and praise, just as David burst out in this passage praising God and he gives such an appropriate benediction for the generosity of God being poured into his life and now his joy in participating by giving back to God in that very last verse verse 13 he says and now our God we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name amen and amen